Okay, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles. I will be reading chapter 12, verse 25, through chapter 13, verse 3. 12.25 to 13, verse 3. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, instructive, and historical word to our hearts and our minds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the window into the history of the early church that you have ordained from the foundation of the world that Dr. Luke Penn. So may we see what's here. And may we see the implications of it for our lives individually and for our life as the body of Christ on earth today. And may we see it not just with our minds, but with the eyes of our hearts to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus came into the world in order to save the lost. He came for his sheep. He came in order to create a bride. He came to gather his people to himself by his bloody cross and then the Holy Spirit coming and getting us one by one. And then he said to his disciples in one of his resurrection appearances in John 20, Peace with, be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Even as the Father vertically sent me to become incarnate, become a human being in order to save lost sinners. Then Jesus says, Now, you whom I gather together, my sheep, 
I am sending you horizontally out into the world with that saving message. Who? His people. We are the church. The church is not some organization that exists there in the world for when we have need, we go to the church in order to get our needs met, like you would in an emergency room or a food bank. That's not the church. The church is an organism, not merely an organization. We are called out of this present darkness into Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And we are thus made part of the whole. Members of that organism called the church. Greek word ekklesia, meaning the gathering of his people. So we, the church, are God's people. His community or his communities of worship. Worship in prayer, worship in singing, worship in praise, worship in sharing, in fellowship, in teaching, in serving one another. The church. It's what he came to create. And the church is here. In this world, in this present darkness, as a light. As a light to the dark world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there are more sheep that are out there. And that purpose of the church there, that mission shows up big time now in our passage in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. So let's remember where we have been in our journey through the Acts of the Apostles. Remember, Luke has, has taken us on a detour somewhat in chapter 12 by bringing us back to what was happening in the Jerusalem church with James, the apostle, being put to death, with Peter being sprung miraculously out of Herod's jail, then with God killing Herod. And then it ends with this, but the word of the Lord was increasing, spreading, going strong. Now, before chapter 12, he had already shown us Antioch. He took us to the city of Antioch and that church plant there. We have seen that Gentiles in big numbers started coming to the Lord up there so that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas, go check this out and report back. What's happening? How in the world is this working? This is new kind of stuff. So Barnabas goes up to Antioch. He sees what he sees and he loves what he sees as God is taking non-Jews, Gentile, unclean sinners and mixing them together with Jews in Jesus Christ to become one family, one body of Christ up there. Luke, I mean, Barnabas loved it. And he says, okay, take a few weeks. He goes 100 miles away in order to find this Saul of Tarsus, the former persecutor of the church. 
knowing his gifting as a teacher. And he persuades Saul, come with me to Antioch. God is really doing something. Saul does. And they're teaching. They're preaching. All over Antioch and in the midst of the church. For well over a year. Then we saw that because of a famine that was coming down particularly in Judea, that the church way up in Antioch, 300 miles away, took an offering and raised a whole bunch of money for them. And then they sent it to Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so they were down in Jerusalem. And then he gives us chapter 12. And at the very last verse of chapter 12, that's why he says this now. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, meaning back up to the city of Antioch. They returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. That is the Mark who wrote the gospel According to Mark, it is the son of that house. Remember that Peter visited that home group that night. It was John Mark's mom's house. They go back up. They're in Antioch. And now, through this journey of Acts, um, the apostles, this history Luke gives us, this sets the stage for the major shift now in the focus of the book of Acts. At this juncture now, Acts of the Apostles really becomes the Acts of Paul for the rest of the book. It's the story of the early missionary thrust into the Gentile world with the gospel. And the springboard that the Holy Spirit uses is the church in the city of Antioch. If you're there, chapter 13, verse 1 we read. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, Here Luke mentions five church leaders that are prophets and teachers. That's what I think he means here. All five of them are prophets. All five of them are teachers. These five guys, they have been preaching and teaching. I think all over the city as the church is broken up. The church does not have some beautiful building with a steeple on it where they all meet all the time. There was no such thing really for a first few hundred years in the church of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. So these five guys are probably preaching at the same time, teaching at the same time all over the city in differing kinds of groups. It's a large church. There may be a couple thousand or more in Antioch that are Christians at this time. And so, Luke says, here's five men, and he gives us their particular names. They were the teachers. They had that gift and that calling. They were prophets. 
Barnabas, we know pretty well. We know that Barnabas was converted to Jesus pretty much at the get-go right after Pentecost. He's a Christian very early on there as a Jew in the Jerusalem church. And he's up here in Antioch because the church says we can trust Barnabas. And they send him up to Antioch to check out what's happening. Saul, the great persecutor of the church, is the one whom the rest of the book of Acts now will focus on. Here he is. This is 14 years after his conversion to Jesus on the Damascus Road. That's how much time has elapsed between chapter 9 and chapter 13. And Paul, all those years, wasn't doing nothing. He was honing his craft as a preacher, as a teacher, up there in the region of Cilicia, and then in Asia, and here in Antioch for 14 years before it's time to go. Then there's Simeon, and Luke says his nickname was Niger, which is a Latin term that means black or dark, which almost certainly means that Simeon was a black man from Africa. Called to Jesus, most likely a Jew. Called to Jesus, and not only that, called to the Word ministry as a leader in the church at Antioch. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene, which is also in northern Africa, who is probably also dark-skinned. And he was probably one of the original evangelists that came to Antioch. Remember chapter 11, Luke told us this, but, quote, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, meaning the Greeks, or the non-Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Probably this Lucius was one of those. Here we find him as a prophet teacher up in the church. And then there is Manian. Manian, really the word there, and just, just a good friend, he grew up with Herod, with Herod the Tetrarch, who is Herod Antipas, the one who beheaded John the Baptist, the one who mocked Jesus the night before his death. These two men were raised in the same elite setting. Down the road, God calls Manian to faith. He's a Christian. And then he calls him to the preaching, teaching ministry as a leader. He leaves all that potential of wealth that he comes from and potential political power to serve the king of kings. Luke gives us these names. And then he goes on to say this in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Look what he says. It's clear. This is his main point. God himself communicated to them. That is, in other words, the Holy Spirit spoke. Clearly the main point of this passage. But Luke finds it, for some reason, necessary or important to give us the context in which the Holy Spirit spoke. He says it happened while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, this scene could have been, the way Luke writes it, that's all we have is, is his words, it could have been just these five men. Worshipping and singing and praying while they're on their one day or two day fast. Could mean that. Or the word they it could refer to a larger congregational worship, singing, praising. In other words, it was while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the church. E either way, though, his point, isn't it, this, that they were very serious about seeking the Lord. Why? They together, intentionally went without food for a meal, or three, or five, or two days. We don't know how long the fast was, but they said, we're going without food to focus our minds and our hearts on our need together for God, our need for Him. They dedicated this little window of time in order to seek the Lord. Lord, move. Speak. Direct. Act. Deliver. And what we see here, then, is they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. Is what Jesus said years earlier to that woman at the well. But the hour is coming, woman. And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jerusalem and the temple are irrelevant. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So they don't need to be in the temple in Jerusalem or some beautiful, architectural, churchly building. Any old living room or basement will do. And they're fasting. They're fasting. They're going without Food for the purpose of prayer and worship and seeking of the Lord. 
allows their hunger pains to continue to remind them and us of the purpose of their fast, which is to hunger for the presence of the Lord, which is to hunger for the answer to a prayer or prayers or direction. As the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58, we read the words, Is not this the fast that I choose? Here it is. What fast? This fast. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. To break every yoke. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. And so as they're gathered together in order to delight in the Lord through the gospel, through prayer, through singing, through seeking Him, while they're fasting, the text then says, the Holy Spirit said something. He said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But I left out something. For me. Set apart for me the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul for the work. Now that word set apart, it means devote. Devote to a particular purpose. Set apart these two men. And notice the Holy Spirit was not making a suggestion here. He was giving orders. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. It's time. I'm sending them. The work that he says here becomes clear in the rest of chapter 13, which at its core you can just say it this way. It is world missions. Going to unreached peoples who've not heard the gospel and bringing it to them and planting churches there. And for Barnabas and for Saul... For them, it means leaving their present ministry in the pastoral ministry and preaching and teaching there in the church in Antioch behind and going. In other words, what we see here, remember how Acts began with Jesus' words in verse 8 of chapter 1. He said to his apostles, and notice, he did say it to them, but Barnabas nor Saul were there, but it applied to them when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit 
here tells them what to do. Set them apart. We're going to send them on their way. And then they, the church, obeyed. Verse 3. And this is down the road a few weeks, month. We don't know how long. Then, well, they did it again. After going without food for a period of time together, fasting, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. Clearly, they sent them off with their blessing and a whole bunch of money to pay for ships and lodging and food and to get a good thrust and a go on this. They sent them off. The church. But, but notice the next line. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's really what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. It's His work. It's His work that He called Barnabas and Saul to accomplish. But when it was time, again, just notice the church said, let's fast and pray for them. Now, here's the question. How did the Holy Spirit speak? says the Holy Spirit, God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, said something that they all understood. While they're praying and worshiping, was it an audible voice in whatever room, building that they're in? Luke doesn't say. But I don't think, I really don't think that's what happened here. They're worshiping the Lord. Clearly, they're singing, they're praying, they're scripture reading. During this fast, it was a very focused time. Okay, there's a time to take care of children, feed them, and do all kinds of things in life and go to work. Then there's time we're focusing right here, not on eating food. We're not even eating food. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, that's right. We're supposed to be praying. And they're together. And they're focused on it. So my guess is what happened in the midst of the gathering is that the Holy Spirit dropped into the spirit of one of the prophets these words. And the prophet speaks them out. Set apart for me, Barnabas, and Saul for the work unto which I have called them. And it wasn't like Barnabas and Saul said, what? What's he talking about? Usually that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Like they were shocked. It confirmed what they knew about their own callings for a long time. And it seems as if the, the, the other prophets and, and Christians who all have the Holy Spirit just say, wow, that's that sounds right. That the Holy Spirit really did speak this. There's confirmation going on in the midst of the church. The Spirit has directed this way. When people speak words that are just, how'd that get there? I don't know. I just have this sense. And they speak that out. And the church, 
People, it should always, you test them. Those words are often confirming something. It's already there. Usually not like I never in my wildest dreams had that thought that I was to paint my face blue. It's usually confirming. Now, what I mean is this. For Barnabas and Saul, this clearly was not the first time at all that they knew anything about God's calling them to go further and further away into the Gentile mission field as missionaries. I mean, Barnabas, in a sense, has already done it. 300 miles away from <laughs> the Jewish country of Judea and Jerusalem. Okay, once in a while you run into a Gentile, usually with Roman gear on. Okay, so he's sent three hundred miles away from home to a predominantly non-Jewish Gentile city of Antioch. Then you take Saul. Remember, after his conversion on the Damascus Road, in Damascus, Jesus grabs one of his servants, Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go over there, and I need you to open Paul's eyes, and he's going to be baptized in the Spirit, or filled with the Spirit, and you're going to baptize him in water, etc., etc. And he had, no way, I'm afraid. And Jesus said to Ananias, he, Saul, quote, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. This is 14 years earlier. Before the church was getting a clue that Gentiles could even be saved. Now, that was to Ananias. Now, come on. Clearly Ananias, hanging out with Paul, and after he baptized him, said, Paul, this is what Jesus said to me. And to Paul, it was not like, wow, really? It was confirming what Jesus already said to him in his resurrection appearance. This is what Jesus said to Saul on the Damascus road. I will be appearing to you, Saul, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And then it's confirming to hear Ananias say, that's right, that's what Jesus told me about you. Almost you can think about Jesus' mom and she hid these things in her heart. That one and another one. Shepherds say these words about what they saw. She hides that in her heart along with... Okay, it's, very, it's amazingly loving for the Lord to work that way. I'm going to finish Jesus' statement to, to, to Paul. He says this, To the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to, that you will go in order to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Okay. That's 14 years earlier. Then, three years after that experience on the Damascus Road, Paul finds himself in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. The Lord throws him into a trance, and Jesus appears to him and then says these words to him, Paul, get out of Jerusalem now, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So, here's the point. Paul had this this missionary call at this point now for 14 years. And he had been developing it. He's been developing it in the regions of Cilicia and Syria for 10 years. How? By preaching, by teaching, by instruction, of many Gentiles down in those regions up north of Jerusalem. And now, at this juncture, the Holy Spirit directs them to travel much further away into the Gentile lands than they ever had before. And Barnabas and Saul are ready. They have been making themselves ready for years. Why? Why had they had that growing in them and developing it, praying about it, being more skilled as teachers in it and as evangelists in it? Because they had a particular They had a call that the Holy Spirit gave them. A missionary call. A church planting call into unreached peoples. Those kinds of calls usually gestate. For long periods of time. And develop. Grow. Over time. And through steps. Of preparation. The 19th century. Baptist preacher. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He defined. A call. to to a particular kind of ministry as a, quote, an intense, all-absorbing desire. Now, do with it what you may, but there's some truth to that, I think. But but here's the main point. Calls, and there are many kinds of calls, not, not merely missionary calls or pastoral calls or Word ministry, preaching and teaching calls. There are all kinds of calls, but calls throughout the history of the church almost, almost always, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, and we see in the New Testament it does, but it's usually not an audible voice. You know, like Jesus on the Jordan River, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's usually not like that. But it's usually a strong sense that grows 
It's not just one day. It's a week later. It's a month later. It's a year later. It's growing. And it's, I just can't be satisfied doing something else with my life. Why don't you do that? I know, I guess I could. I mean, i got to earn a living, but boy, it's not my, it's not my passion. Now, in the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a medical doctor, spent a lot of time going to school and went to med school and became a doctor and practiced being a doctor. And, you know, during all that time, he becomes a Christian. But then he felt called to the preaching ministry. Why don't you continue to doctor? Because I'm not satisfied. I have to do this. And the Lord opened up doors, and that's what he did for the rest of his life. But if you haven't read it, anybody ever thinking they might have a call to pastoral, preaching, teaching, missionary kind of work, I find this book to be a classic on the subject, a very provoking book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Preaching and Preachers. Now, in it, here, here, here's a line that he says. Quote, I have always felt when someone has come to me and told me that he has been called to be a preacher, that my, that, that my main business is to put every conceivable obstacle that I can think of in his way. His point was if it's call, God will bring you through the obstacles. If it's not, it's a good thing you don't go into that. His point is that he wanted the young men to make sure that their call was a real call from God and not just some you know, short-lived, emotional, religious experience at a camp or a conference or something. Not some idealistic idea of what the ministry of the Word would be. Oh, that sounds really cool because they will be destroyed. Our passage, what overall we see here is the Holy Spirit is in sovereign control of the whole scenario, using people in the church, even to confirm to them through the church and through words. Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for this missionary work, for the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus to unreached peoples. The Holy Spirit here is directing them to spread the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the preaching of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And here is the beginning of the fulfilling of the prophet Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think about how Paul might have thought about that. Think about how the waters cover the sea. You can't get more 100% coverage than that. That's what will happen with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It'll cover the earth. So Paul and Barnabas, by this sweet Confirmation of the Holy Spirit speaking to them in the midst of body life. They took to heart Psalm 46.10. I would assume had been brooding over this for years. Be still. And know that I am God. Barnabas, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so they fasted and prayed and were worshiping. But underneath all of it, the goal of their fast, the goal of their praying, the goal of their worship was and always is to be the glory of God. Years later, the Apostle John in the vision he gets he hears the heavenly voices sing in Revelation 5. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people group and every nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And so when the body of Christ, then or now, preaches the gospel near or far off, God will use it to save His elect to the glory of His name. And that dynamic starts in every one of your personal lives. It starts with us, wherever we are, who are called to faith in Jesus. And then it, it continues. 
in our family lives. And it overflows in our church lives. And then it springboards into our lives as citizens in this world, in particular places, in particular times, in the schools, in the marketplaces, in the culture at large, in our neighborhoods, as we are being who we are called to be. Christians. And then it extends to evangelism, to gospel clarity, gospel speaking to people. And finally, as we see today, and then set apart missionaries to the world, to unreached people groups, finance them. Pray for them. Be one of them, all to the glory of God. Set these two men apart for the work to which I have called them. Every one of us Christians have calls. Some you can say massive, life-consuming. Many smaller ones. We have calls. Some of us have a call to be married and to be sanctified in that marriage. Some of us have calls to be single for a time, which doesn't mean my life is defined by not being married, which I hope to someday. No, it's a gift. Don't waste it. Some are called to be single for life and they're free for who knows what kinds of ministries. There are calls to raise children in church life, in gospel-saturated homes. It's no small call. Some have calls to be foster parents for the broken. Some have calls to adopt a child or four, to raise them in new covenant families. Some have calls to hospitality or personal evangelism or public evangelism. Some have calls to be servants to the saints, servants to their local church family and that community in ways that people don't even know and see but are so necessary. Some have calls, not everybody, some have calls to homeschool their kids. Others have calls and giftings to make a lot of money and to give a lot of that money away to the gospel at home and abroad. And then there is the call to full-time 
pastoral ministries, which some young men feel struggle with. But as they struggle, they take steps of preparation. A surgeon who's doing surgery wasn't because he never prepared and went to medical school to learn the body and to be mentored for years and how do you cut and not kill a patient but struggle. And as they prepare themselves, they experience the grace to one degree or another and to another degree of slowly developing their gifts. And sometimes and many times they try to run from that call. But ultimately they can't get away from the hound of heaven. Because nothing else drives them. And then back in Luke's day and throughout the centuries and today, many are sensing the Holy Spirit's call to go to the world as missionaries. What's happening? I pray that the Holy Spirit would call some from here with a passion with a drive to go to the mission fields of the world to be spent and to spend their short lives to the glory of God let's pray So, Father, that is our prayer. We thank you for your wonderful work in so many of our calls in this church. And the need for those at home, gospel-centered preachers, teachers, and pastors. There's young people here, Father, with a life ahead of them. There's a world out there, villages, foreign lands, and foreign cultures that are in need of those who are called to the glory of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior. Do it, Lord. Amen.